welcome to Abiding Podcast. This time round on your walk, I've got my housemate Josh Peachy on. Uh, he's got an awesome journey and I just wanted to encourage you guys by getting him on, interviewing him and asking him to share it with you guys. So I hope that this story blesses you and encourages you. Enjoy. Yeah, so welcome, Josh. Thanks for joining me today, mate. Um, yeah, that's okay. I'm glad to do it. Yeah. So this is your episode of Your Walk. So kind of the best place to start is what was your kind of like experience of faith or exposure to faith growing up? Growing up. So I grew up in a Christian family. Um, so my experience with the I know Christianity in Jesus starts from a very early age. I was about, um, so my mum and dad were involved in a very lively, um, charismatic church. So I was born in 92, so it was the beginning of the 90s. And obviously in 94, there was a big charismatic renewal slash outpouring that, you know, stemmed out of Toronto. Um, which went around Af- uh, the world and, uh, you know, definitely was touched the church they were in. Um, so I was exposed to all the craziness of the charismatic church in the middle of a, I don't know, revival or renewal from a very early age. I was around people rolling and roaring. and um, So the more what a lot of people call the more crazy end of the spectrum is like super, um, always been natural to me, always been something I've exposed to. Um, And for me, it's like my norm. Um, So like anything else, any more traditional um, expressions of Christianity are actually really alien and really weird to me. Because I've not got... Um, a history or an experience with them. I've only really ever seen them in like on comedy shows, <laughs> like like the vicar in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yeah. Um, but so I, I don't know. I remember um, being in a lot of church services as a really little guy, and like literally, I would just sleep in in like the aisles while my parents were engaging. Yeah. Um, and I know the spirit was moving, so, you know, you don't know what God's doing in those times. But, yeah, I was always surrounded by this craziness. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so you grew up in, in church and everything like that. Yeah. At what point, so, like, you just briefly mentioned that you would, like, sleep in the aisles while, you're, while your parents were engaging. But at what point do you think like that you started engaging with it more on a like personal level where it wasn't so much like your parents because what my experience of chatting to people that grew up as in a christian home is that there's always a there's always seems to be this point of like this is now mine i'm no longer like i'm no longer just going to church because my parents are telling me to i'm not do you know what i mean of like it became yours it wasn't just something that was family tradition it wasn't just something that you guys did but you were pursuing it yourself either at services or at home on your own yeah so um my uh exposure to what's now called the you know the sinner's prayer was actually it 
four years old. Yeah. I was on my mother's bed and she actually, in simple terms, but clear terms, it, you know, explained that, you know, you must receive Christ for yourself. Um, so that's when I, you know, officially gave my life to Jesus. Um, and I think I always had the sense I was a Christian. I believed in Jesus. And I guess, you know, because it started from so early, I was in, um, surrounded by this charismatic movement, although I was too young to really get it or understand it, I always had a sense of, you know, God and um, his presence. And my, I think I just, you know, generally grew into faith as I got a bit older, got a bit more sentient as I entered my teenage years. And I, I don't know, engage with stuff more. I think for a short while, my mum had left the church she'd been at for many years, the one I was born into and had renewal for a long time. Um, and none of us really went to church. I wouldn't say my dad was sort of further away from God in that time, but um, my mum sort of did like Bible Bible studies and children's church at home. So she even bridged that gap yeah, and like engaged us with faith, even in a time we weren't going anywhere. Um, and also in those times where you're like around like some intercession. So she was with some uh, friends that used to like pray for the nations and they had like a practical ministry where they'd um, basically collect up sort of like practical needs for, you know, third world places and, and especially for like places in Israel that were really suffering because of the conflict. And they would like, their friends would, so I've always been exposed to stuff and just practiced. I'd pray with my mum, I'd learn to pray by being around really intense prophetic intercessors. <laughs> um, I guess I started taking it really seriously for myself when I was uh, around 13 and we started going to another church. Um, and there wasn't really many other kids there, so I was just in with everyone else, the adults, and, um, yeah, I think I decided to take it seriously, there is a point where you realise I can sort of go along, um, with the way my friends are doing things, you know, they're looking to experience, you know, drugs, and sex, and everything life's got to offer, or I can, um, take another, another way, and be more serious about God, and, I guess I was a young teenager when I really um, took that decision for myself. Yeah. So, yeah, and I grew, I guess, in those three... I, th I was at that church for about three years, and I don't know, I began to pray, and uh, towards the end, I, I guess I began to prophesy and realise um, that was part of who I was. Um, began to get an interest in, like, music and... So around the end of that time when I was about 16 is when I started to learn to play guitar and just really invest. But always, I guess I've always been around sort of people that pray, people that are quite prophetic. Although until I was about 16, that was never clearly talked about that these are really like, these are intercessors or these are prophetic people. Yeah. It was just the people I was surrounded with and the way we did Christianity. Yeah. 
So you grew up in a very prophetic intercessory culture. And yes. that was like, like you're saying, you grew up, your faith kind of started during the renewal of like the Toronto blessing. So you've like, you're like, you're saying your experience is quite predominantly prophetic, kind of like super charismatic sort of Christianity. Uh, yeah. And yeah. How did you find that going like, like being wired in that way? And going to school, go like, and be like you said, being that different person of like everyone else is engaging in one thing, and you're like, this isn't for me, and you were like putting like putting that stake in the ground to show the difference between like you and those people, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um. So I think. Well, that's a difficult one. I think, you know, there was a lot of just, in my early years, absolutes. You're brought up in the church and, you know, wherever you are, I think there's things you learn about God. You learn, you know, stuff like that comes up in teenagers. The big thing people would ask is about sex and sex before marriage. And I was just a bit, you know, I'm sort of a stubborn guy. And I had that from an early age. It's just, no, you know. We've been brought up in a certain way. I will, you know, abstain. I want to, you know, the idea, you know, you want to be with one partner. I guess also in the early stages, that's really before you're really, um, you know, awakened as a man. Yeah. And you've got adult desires and it becomes hard, you know, that process becomes harder. But I think at school I was just... I wasn't really afraid of being different. I wasn't particularly, you know, I'd say what I thought. And uh, I didn't really, <laughs> didn't really care for the consequence. I'd just say, look, this is what I believe. I it's Sometimes, I guess, there's a few friends I tried, you know, really um, used to speak about the things of God a bit more too. Um, there's one friend I brought along to church for a while. And I think, though, I think you're just taught to do a lot of things, to evangelize, to be different, to say these things. And I think I learned a lot about God, but also really engaging your heart in it was not, um, learned about heart and emotions and really living it and not just being a, a something you say or like a religious mantra was something I probably learned later on. Yeah. But I was just very much, I'm for Jesus. I, you know, do this and I don't do this. I was also, you know, rough and ready. There's, you know, still plenty of <laughs> swear words and, you know, I got into my fair share of like scraps at school. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I was sort of, a mid, you know, middle of the road kid in school sort of, you didn't generally get met, you know, messed with, and uh, you know, I was a good place in the school pecking order, I guess. It was like, you know, he's fairly big and fairly strong. He's not known as one of the toughest guys in the year, but also, not a lot of people go out of his go out of their way to start a problem with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that takes us up to like your teenage years. Yeah. So you're now in your late twenties. Yes. 
So obviously there's a transition from being a teenager to kind of like being 20 years old. You're no longer a teenager. You're in that sort of like, yeah, you're still in that adolescence and heading into, by that point, you're probably out of uh, college and out of studying. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like, how did you find that transition going from like, yeah, kind of. Yeah, from teenage years to, so I guess, um, I guess there's a bit of the story I need to fill it. Like, so in my late teenage years, my parents' marriage became very rocky um, and they almost split when I was 17, but they sort of had a, a short-lived um, reconciliation which worked for, I don't know, about a year or 18 months. Um, and when I was 18 and in my last year of catering college at the time, um, my parents actually split up um, and began divorce proceedings. So I was brought up in Swindon and around all this um, faith, but I realised at the time I had a lot of like pride because... Most of my friends were from what we'd call broken homes or ones that weren't, you know, their parents' marriage had serious problems. And I think because I was, you know, a Christian and I was different, I actually had a lot of, like, pride um, about, oh, my family's different, we're still together. And when my parents finally split up, that, you know, that thing crumble, crumbled and fell to pieces. Yeah. I realised, oh, wow, um... It was the first really like point in my life, a uh, culture shock of like, wow, this is real. Life is hard. Life is painful. And, uh, you know, at the time, 18, all you th were thinking about was like girls and romance. And I don't know, for me, that yeah. was like the major theme of my heart. And when I, my parents eventually split up, you know, I can realize now that, you know, that, you know, their marriage wasn't good for like many years and actually... It may have been better that if things were going that way, it happened a lot sooner. Mm. But at the time, it really hurt, and I stopped believing in love. So being an 18-year-old kid who all he's ever really thinking about is romance and girls and when am I going to meet a nice girl, to then like coming to the place, a lot of bitterness came in, like, wow, love doesn't work. Um, it's all a lie. You know, for me, what my greatest dream was, you know, it's all a sham. There's no point to it. And, you know, for a while, that was a really low point in my life. Um, also in that time, um, so my mum was making the transition. We'd already connected to the city of Bath and Bath City Church at the time a couple of years before. And we'd come down for conferences and then eventually... And um, we'd come down like on the train or with friends weekly to Bath City Church. Um, so I began to connect. Um, I had, you know, some friends at Bath City Church, although I was still living in Swindon, which was, you know, um, is cool, is an enjoyable, you know. But I remember when I first sort of came to Bath, I'd walk around the city sometimes just because I had nothing to do. Pretty... Um, but, you know, pretty low. Yeah. Just like, 
not quite knowing what the point was. I'd not like lost my, my faith or anything, but you know, I was just low. I was like, what's the point? You know, I've got this dream and it's all a sham and it doesn't work. Um, I mean, so it was a difficult time. I guess around that time, from like 16 to 18, is when I first really heard about the Father Heart message of God. Yeah. And I went to different schools and um, heard about that. And that was there in the background, but it was also difficult because, you know, my relationship with my dad was quite hard. And I was having, you know, strange feelings towards my mother as well, who had always just been my mum or loved dearly, but because of the divorce and because of the breakup of a family, it was uh, a difficult time. And like this, realising I mean, you build your life upon actually this block of family yeah. instead of God, instead of trusting God or hoping in God. And when that tumbled, that was really hard. Um, so I guess one of the healing points in that journey was when I was walking around town one day and um, I actually saw so some friends of ours, Josh and Cara Smith. This was before they were married. Um, and I saw them actually from, from a distance and I saw like Josh was obviously walking to meet Cara. And I just saw the love and affection they had for one another um, from a distance. I don't think they even saw me at the point. But to see the genuine love and the affection they had for one another, it was like a moment I saw that and like just hope began to be birthed in my heart again at that point. Mm. Um, and God's like, see, you know, yeah, it's not all as bad as you think or as gloomy as you think. So at that age, that was a, a turning point. Um, and I guess, so in my life after that, soon after that, I started working full time at a five star hotel. So I was trained in catering and I became a waiter in um, a very exclusive hotel. And like that was difficult because on the side, all my spare time was going into church stuff and encountering God's presence. And, and then my work was with this very sort of... Uh, sort of heavy-handed patriarchal system where the person on the level above you sort of pressing you and pressing you down. Um, it's very hard, very tough, very like, you know, you've got to be tough to survive in that. And so it helped me grow up. It helped me, but also not all of that was positive. Yeah. You know, it's where like, um, you sort of become a bit, sort of frosty with the world or a bit like my guard is up yeah because you know you're not gonna walk all over me and like if you st talk straight to me and a bit hard i'm gonna you know it sort of produces in you the idea if life squares up to you or if someone squares up to you you square up right back mm. um probably contrary to the softening god was trying to do in my heart at that time yeah so it was strange time <laughs> yeah, you've got God softening you on one side and you've got the workplace <laughs> building this almost hard exterior to you. Yeah. Where like, yeah, because it's that thing of like, almost like 
it building calluses on you yeah. the, the more you got pushed down and the more you were working but also that like your work environment's where you spend most of your time yeah the fact that that was the environment you're in that was going to have a huge impact on like because it's that whole thing of what you hear spoken over you on a regular basis you slowly start to believe more and more and if you're in an environment that's always like telling you like that you're lower than you are that's always pushing you down always almost telling you that you're not good enough if you're spending 40 hours a week in that environment you to offset that it would be you need a lot of more time in like god's presence to really kind of yeah yeah so i guess slightly later on than that um so after about a year of working there i moved out from what was then i'd been living with my mum um in bath i totally left my hometown um and i moved in with some friends which was i get great it's you know a new experience you're living with new people um but also, like, the guy, you know, one of the guys I lived with was a great guy who I still love today. But, you know, really stubborn. And I think our stubbornness um, rubbed off on one another. Yeah. Um, so at that time, I don't know. It, it was strange because um, I was really, we really got into the, te- like, Bethel at the time. Um they're teaching and I like, like love and honor what they do. But I think at the time I realized I was anything I got of Jesus or God was indirectly through Bethel mm. or through their teaching. And like, honestly, at that time I was not directly just getting on my face before Jesus myself, you know, he definitely spoke to me and I definitely had times in his presence, but it was all just through Bethel worship sets or Bill Johnson or Chris Vallotton's preaching. And I, I guess for a long time, I didn't realize that that was you know, putting, it's not about them, but anything on too high a pedestal. And I would call, you know, watching a preach or that was my, that would be sort of exclusive in my time with God. Yeah. And like, thankfully, because I was naturally, um, I could hear God and I still hear him, but it was tempered with this workplace, which was suddenly offering me, I guess I'd been, realized fairly sheltered until that time, but stuff like, you know, drinking, which had never been on the table. At some point when I was about 21, I started drinking because... I'd go to the pub with my colleagues and I was fed up of orange juice and Coca-Cola. So I started drinking beer. Um, But like drinking and although I didn't take them up, like, you know, sexual opportunities were actually a reality. They were about. Um, To be honest, in my upbringing, because I'd been so in the church, that was really lacking before that, you know, exposure to drink, exposure to, you know, other young people that want to have a good time um, had not been, you know, I'd been away from it. I, I'd been like separate from it. And then I was in this world. 
yeah. that, you know, offered it freely and it was suggested, oh, this is a good idea. Um, so I guess that was, uh, in the darker times, you know, that stuff was a real, real temptation. When I felt lower, I'm just like, I could completely go away from God now and I could just, uh, go after this, you know, drug and, you know, drinking women lifestyle. And it was in the low times, a real temptation but every time I got really low, I think God just stepped in and put the right people in my life. Um, which I think, you know, is definitely is grace. Because there's been two or three times in my 20s where I could have, you know, completely walked away from God for a time. Because my heart was weary, because I was bitter. Um but I, I think, you know, just the right people and just going off to some church service at one point and getting into his presence again and he healing a bit of my heart, you know, was enough each time. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned quite a lot there. You mentioned yeah. um, kind of, to some extent, your first, like, real interaction with the world. Yeah. That, like... Yeah, to almost be like that you were almost in a bit, not exactly in a bubble, but like the stuff you were exposed to was not the full, almost like the full reality of what else is happening in the world. Of like the, like the, like it wasn't offered to you. It might have been happening around you, you might have been aware of it, but it wasn't like in your face up until that point, is kind of how you said it. Yeah, I think it also. To some extent, I would always, if anyone asked, uh, I would talk about my faith. I would talk about what I thought was morality or the right way to live. But I guess I was a bit dualistic, you know. I was a normal teenager. I liked to play. As a teenager, I played a lot of sport. Just down, like, the local recreational field with my friends. So, football in the winter, um, a lot of cricket. You know, I think, you know, sport took a lot of my attention in my, certainly in my early teenage years. Um, and I was aware, you know, we'd all, I wasn't totally, you know, I'd talk about girls and, uh, oh, you know, obviously they're pretty, I like this girl, I like this girl. I think I'd try and very much not go as uh, far as my friends would. Yeah. Um, in talking about those things. Um, but I had, you know, a line in me. Um, and, and just that uh, stubbornness and an unwillingness to budge, I think, was in those early teenage years. And um, I think, I think when you get into like the workplace and a workplace like I got into for my first, you know, what we call proper job. I did a lot of like cash in hand laboring before that, just sort of the weekends with a friend. Um, but when you get into that environment, it's, you realize, Oh, I'm, I'm not as grown up as I actually, I thought I was. Mm. I'm not as uh, mature as I thought I was. 
I've not seen as much of life or I'm not as wise as I thought I was. And uh, I guess you, le- you know, you learn quick. Yeah. That in, in the adult world, you can't uh, get by on stubbornness alone. Mm. You know, you need to, I don't know, learn how to work, learn how to interact with people, even if you don't like them that much and still get a job done. Um, so, so I guess, you know, it definitely, I see many benefits and how it helped me grow as a person. Um, not all positive, you know, not all positive, but also, you know, I believe if I would have gone, started that job when, you know, a few years later, like if a couple of my jobs were flipped the other way, then I really probably would have thrived a lot more Mm. because I would have been mature. I wouldn't have had to be in bitterness, but I would have known what I needed to do to thrive, to do well. Um, But when I was there, I was just, you know, too young and I was becoming a man and, you know, uh, I guess I was, yeah, I was being exposed to what was out there and, I guess it was a battle, but, you know, I've grown and I think I can see God was really with me even when I was ignoring, the moments I was ignoring him. Yeah. You know, it would have been so easy to fully engage with, you know, a more hedonistic lifestyle. So, so easy. The opportunities were there and almost like I was probably a bit ignorant and blind to how easy those things would have been. And I think that must have been God to some degree. Yeah, and almost like because there's that um, there's that verse in I can't quite remember what book of the Bible it is, but it's um, like set your set the way for your children, and they'll never leave it. To paraphrase it, yeah, and it's almost like that that rang very true for your story. That like there was a path that was set in you from early doors through your mum and through your dad, like telling you. Like your mum doing the Bible, like teaching you about the Bible when you guys weren't even going to church and really teaching you the ways of God. Yeah. So that when when you actually were exposed to it, if you hadn't been, like it's, it's probably a lot easier to fall into it if there hasn't been a standard set in you from a young age. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And I think part of my earlier story that I probably missed, so... Um, So, like I said, my mum's church that she was going to when I was born and, you know, she was going to a few years before even I was born, um, was a bit ahead of his time, quite prophetic. Um, And so the pastor there at the time was um, doing a series of sermons for a long while, a couple of years before I was born, um, on the Joshua generation. Mm. Um, so obviously, you know, Joshua in the Bible was the leader after Moses and in a, in a basically in quite a violent in military, mi- military fashion, you know, went and took hold of the promises of God and they were taking that, um, he was taking that part of the Bible and saying, yeah, there's going to be a generation of young men and women that will rise up and in a warlike fashion take hold of the promises of God 
that have been like held back or generations before have not quite stepped into. Now, obviously, that part of scripture was of its time and at its time. But, you know, we believe that, you know, the Bible is alive and it can have new and prophetic and living meanings, Mm -hmm. even though contextually in history that thing happened and was a point in the story of God and his people. He's sort of doing that again. So that prophetic thread of um, they in that time, my mum and dad decided if we ever have a son, um, from this point on, we're going to call him Joshua. Um, so my name was birthed out of something prophetic God was doing before mm-hmm. I was born. And, you know, that was probably hard for them to even think at the time because they actually lost two children before that point. Mm. Um, and, you know, they were a bit uh, disappointed. My mum had had two dis- miscarriages and it wasn't looking good. But when I was born, I was called Joshua. And I believe that prophetic onus of is very much who I am. Yeah. Um, I'm a prophetic guy. I am, when I'm talking about, I guess, the things of God, I, I'm like, right, let's get it, you know, let's get this done. Let's get this done. I, I in prayer and in worship, if I want to see things change, I am, you know, would go about it in what would be considered like a more a warlike fashion when I'm really engaging with the things of God. I'm not, I'm quite forthright. So I think even in that, I think, wow, there, there was so much prophetic power. Yeah. Because yeah, because I think kind of to kind of bring us back to where we were, but also jump back a slight bit. Yeah. Um, it probably was also like although you said that Chris and Bill and Bethel ended up on a bit of a pedestal in your life, but actually seeing the teaching of Chris and Bill and knowing you and knowing your kind of like heart for the prophetic and what you just said about like. Like you want to see, you want to see head. Like to summarize it, you want to see heaven released on earth, and you just want to get after it. If you want to see something happen, it's like cool. Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's let's actually do the practical things that we can do to see things move. Um, so like it, it's amazing how God put you in the right part, like the right part of the movement for you to really develop you to be who you are today because like if you if you'd grown up in an anglican church the the amount of stuff that you would have engaged in on a prophetic level would have been low to minimal but yeah i think god knows me i think um I'm not trying to not, but if I was wired exactly the same, but for whatever reason, I would have been brought up in a very traditional church, whatever denominational creed that would have been, it just wouldn't have worked for me. Mm. Um, Because I don't know, I've been interested in the power of God and seeing God move and um, the prophetic and in his presence and, there's moments where God actually changes someone, be that with a word or in his presence where life's actually touched and changed. And if you look at the Gospels when Jesus or later on the book of Acts, when God touched someone, is like 
in an interaction, in a human interaction, I don't know, something of heaven touched them and they were different. And that's what my, I don't know. I just feel that is in me. And, uh, you know, I don't feel different expressions have got the room. Or certainly in the time I grew up would have had the room for any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think when I first was exposed to Bethel, it was like the best teaching I'd ever heard. Because it was talking about bringing heaven to earth, being like Jesus. And it was talked with, taught with it like a clarity and a maturity. And it wasn't like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could get here? Mm. But more... Um, I know, let's be in this place. I, I guess sometimes even through sermons you get exposed to scriptures you may not have been before. But I think the idea of like, you know, heaven to earth, we actually, certain scriptures like, I know, in Romans 8, certainly through, you know, got exposed to me probably through Bethel second hand but you know it's now become one of my favorite parts in the bible it talks about sonship and we don't need to fall back into slavery or a former way of life before we were engaged with jesus and you know god's our father and you know this stuff throughout the new testament about an inheritance talks in one peter that is beyond the reaches of change and decay stored up in heaven for us Seeing that there's there is this, I know this possibility in Scripture of this amazing life, of God's abundance and of God's power, that I, I've not always seen expressed in church, but like the Word of God says, you know, there's going to be a beautiful church that's going to look like Jesus, that's going to be so powerful in God so mature in God that Jesus like a bridegroom is going to be you know we're called you know the bride but you know I believe it's just some grand spiritual analogy so we can understand the grand scheme of God mm. more than a literal thing but like a young man a man that's so in love with this woman he's about to marry and she's got to this state of beauty they can't wait any longer and the marriage has got to happen now I think as the church matures and grows, it's like what we're doing is making the heart of God so, or the heart of Jesus so hungry for us, he's got to come back and he's got to be fully unified. And that's what I believe, you know, the Bible is saying is possible. So that's really, <clears throat> that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, man. What's been amazing to see, especially in the last last few months because I mentioned it to you in when I sent you the plan because coming into lockdown you probably weren't in quite as a high spirited place as you are now and for you lockdown was quite a a shifting point in terms of your spiritual walk with Jesus and what what that looked like and your intensity and your zeal and I wondered if you would allude a little bit to kind of where you were before lockdown and the shift that happened during lockdown and where you are now. Yeah. So, <clears throat> also, I've got to say, like, um, 
So over the last few years, I've probably, I did enter another sort of bleak time or not amazing time in my faith. Um, you know, there's a number of things. A lot of my inner circle ended up going to um, Bethel to do the Supernatural School of Ministry. And at one point, they, you know, I didn't have the money at the time. I, um, nothing, you know, but also I've not got, say, family um, that could support me enough to do something like, you know, the School of Ministry. Um, so that was a very hard time for me because all my close friends were going to Bethel and I so wanted to go for a long time because as I said I'd been ingratiated with their teaching and I just believed it was really an epicenter of what God was doing you know and I and I still do but um in applying and I actually got accepted to do the school but realized I didn't I didn't have the money and also I didn't have the um I didn't really trust God in the area of finance Maybe that was because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And once I started working, I financially probably became fairly selfish. Um, you know, I gave, I tried to be generous, you know, here and there. But also, um, I think when I started working and having my own money, the sense of having the money even I did from working, you know, pretty normal job gave me a sense of security um and I was trusting in that my pay packet more than God mm. um so that was hard so when my friends were leaving to go to Bethel and I realized oh wow I don't trust God and also I'm far too proud basically to ask um to put anything on Facebook or to speak to other believers that I know would maybe be willing to support me in some way financially, but in the area of money, I was far too proud to go and ask for money. Mm. Also, I was like, and then at that time, I sort of became angry at God. And was just blaming him. It's like, you've got to do something. You've got to provide this. You've got to prove yourself to me. Um, and unfortunately, you know, obviously my friends went and two of them met their wives out there. Mm. Um, and a crazy time and my one of the friends stayed and he eventually went with his wife he'd already met. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess I felt alone. I felt like I'd lost brothers for a while because I didn't, the way my heart was, I didn't keep in very good touch with those guys while they were away. And it's really only been in, honestly, the last, even since this lockdown where that's, more fully been restored. Um, during the time they were away, I formed a friendship with another guy called Va um, Valley. Um, he's one of my best friends in the world. And uh, he's now actually moved permanently to Redding, California. He, um, you know, and that was one of the deep, in terms of friendships where another man, when we talked about our hearts, our emotions about life, shared life. We just used to laugh a lot as well, eat meals, all the stuff that means a lot to me. It was intimate. It was deep. Um, and when the other guys came back, he was basically about to get married. 
and to leave for Reading, California. And that is, I guess, the deepest friendship I'd had at that time. And he was telling me before, because we knew he was getting married, he'd met this girl, and we knew that he was going to be going, you know, you need probably need to engage with your other friendships and make some more friends and reconnect with some old friends. And in my heart, I was just like completely unwilling at that time. Mm. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I got no, I, I was like, in a, I had no interest in that. I was living with a good friend at the time, but you know, I think you know, that I can be a stony-hearted so-and-so sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was really difficult. Like when he left, on top of like, other friends had come back, but we'd grown distant, and it was generally my fault. Mm. Um, you know, I was you know wasn't reaching out and. If I reached out and didn't get a quick reply, then I was just like, I won't bother now. Mm. I just you know, told my stuff like, you know, oh, it's one of those things. Friendships grow apart. It happens. It's normal. And unfortunately, in the sort of 18 months before lockdown, I'd very much sort of told myself, well, my life is a certain way. I will work basic jobs or have a basic life. I'll um, just grind along and hurt work hard and never be particularly wealthy but you know maybe I can grind out the life I want and one day buy a house and maybe meet the right woman but I'd become very embittered very narrow-minded I think I'd I'm naturally quite visionary and prophetic that's who I am but for about that 18 months after Valley left until like lockdown started I was very much um, closed closed off emotionally closed off to hope closed off to the prophetic I couldn't really even hardly listen to sermons let alone you know read my bible or pray or engage with Jesus myself because you know bitterness and hopelessness and just a sense of like, well, I'm, I'm going to live this small life and I'm just going to hold my emotions in this place because I'd had a lot of ups and downs in the years before that. And I'm just like, I'm just going to hold myself level. And that was my idea for 18 months that, you know, well, I'm just here. I will hold myself emotionally level. And unfortunately, it won't be fun because I won't have highs and I won't have lows. It's just going to be here. Um, But I think it wasn't until the lockdown where suddenly, oh, wow, it stopped. You can't work. Mm. It, was, it, it was like the weirdest thing. I remember when my manager sat down because our place of business actually closed about 10 days before the full lockdown started because it's based in a private museum. And I was like, wow, I can't even work now. Um, so that was super weird for me because I was all about just staying in the routine I'd built for myself for that, you know, 18 months. You know, I would go to work. I would probably um, go and visit my mum on one of my days off. Every time a week I would go to... Um, I was in two different, you know, small groups in that period of time. I would attend the life group faithfully. I wouldn't necessarily emotionally or spiritually really be there or open during those times occasionally more so than others but um 
and I built my life in this routine with not a lot of space for hope you know and become a bit you know bitter towards God and I think I was at the place it's like you know started to be surrounded around people that would start to encourage me and go after the things of God and my attitude was until near the beginning of lockdown well if you give me I don't know a beautiful wife and some kids then we can talk about me engaging with the destiny and the call you've put on my life mm. um realizing with god that doesn't necessarily work um so so suddenly in the lockdown i had all this time in the first couple of weeks it was hard because i had all this adrenaline because my work, when I'm at work, you're working hard, you're on it, you're focused. I was, you know, a supervisor, so you've sort of got to keep an eye on what everyone else is doing to make sure you're running as best you can. Um, and after that, work adrenaline ran out after about two weeks. I was bored with Netflix. I had all this time. Um, wow, so I don't know. I started opening my Bible. And I started praying and um, I guess I began to start to dream again. And when you begin to get into God's presence, I think, you know, it just touches things in your heart and he suggests maybe people you need to apologize to and relationships you need to um, rekindle or friendships, you, you know. Um, so that was really precious. And I remember in the middle, middle of this time, um, in that like hard 18 months, where I was emotion emotionally a rock, you know, not, not going up or down, unmovable. I really like, well, there's one particular friendship that meant a lot to me. And I just thought, um, oh, you know, it's just over. Life's drawn us apart. We're not going to be together. But at the time in the past, we'd been like super close with that guy. It was, I'd describe it, if you know the Bible, it's a bit like David and Jonathan in the Bible. Mm. So David, who became king, and Jonathan, who was Saul's son, it talks about they had a really intimate, special, like almost like brotherhood. And I definitely had that with a particular friend and... um. One point I was saying, oh, well, it's just over now. You know, that's not there anymore. And actually God spoke to me very violently at that time. And he used the word, he said, did I tell you you could get a divorce? <laughs> just to speak so clearly. And I was like, oh, but he really chastened my heart at that time. Mm. Um, he's talking about, you know, I, th I think there's some friends over the years that, it's been more than a friendship, but not many, but a few where like a brotherhood or almost a covenant has been made. And that, that actually really means a lot to God also. Um, and I know I'd encourage anyone that would listen to us. Like if you realize though, you know, you've got those friendships that are different, that are more, although they're not legally, although it, no, they're not your brothers and sisters but they are in your heart a brother or sister then um 
hold on to those friendships and fight for them and don't give up because they're probably the most important relationships you're going to have this side of heaven. Mm. So, um, yeah, push through even if it's hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you've talked quite a bit about the 18 months leading in, the starting to pick up your Bible and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, there was a distinct yeah there was a distinct moment where we were we were chatting on a Zoom call with a group of guys, and you just started opening up about like re-engaging with your destiny. And it'd be because the one thing I can't yeah I've got it written here is with your like prophetic nature to yeah. you is one thing I just wanted to like almost ask is you've you've had all these like. You've had loads of prophetic words about your destiny over the years and you know quite well, like if, if we were to sit down and go, right, what's your destiny? You could probably give me like the three key points of why you're here. Yeah. Um, but I just right, want, was going to ask you, like, how, how has this time taught you or made you engage more with that and like almost brought you to a place of needing to steward that better and any sort of advice around the prophetic and stewarding words that you have over your life yeah um so i think one thing i would say is that certainly during that 18 months and for a few years i have had so many prophetic words and just been around so many prophetic people over the years that i was really aware of the sort of person i am and the sort of destiny I've got, but actually in the bit of time, one thing I did, and I've had to get before the Lord and repent during this time fairly recently, I actually knew what the call was on my life. I knew the sort of man I was meant to be. Um, and I rejected that for a while. In that emotional stability I was going after, what I was actually doing is probably grieving the heart of God. Because I wasn't unaware of the call of God on my life. I wasn't unaware of the more specific gifts of God on my life. I was really aware, but I was prepared rejecting my call. Because pain and because bitterness had got in the way. Um, and in that place, the first thing I had to do, I, you know, I needed to repent. I needed to... Um, And so in the journey, I have come before some friends um, that knew me during this, some of the brothers that I said I'd got disconnected with. And I did some repentance corporately before them and to some, you know, to a couple that are very much like a spiritual mother and father. And I was at a certain time a bit like a prodigal in, you know, running away because they would, you know, point me in the right direction and... I was stubborn and my heart wasn't in a good place and I didn't want to go there. So first and foremost, I had to repent. I needed to get over myself, get over my judgments. I very much had to get over like the idea that if you want me to do anything for you, God, you need to give me a wife and a couple of daughters mm. because that's honestly, I don't know. That's one of the deepest thing my heart longs for. 
so in the lockdown there was one precise time where I put some um, instrumental worship music on and I just started to pray and pray pray in tongues and sing in the spirit and I just pay you know move back you know pace up and down my room and pray and really engage with this presence and for me that's like a real way to engage to pray and to sing in the spirit is um, I'd say for me the quickest um, vehicle I know for engaging with him for getting myself in the right spiritual space space to engage with God um, and during that time I was I was just praying and he led me um, led me to Hebrews 12 um, during this time and it and I will actually get that out and read it. Um, so it's quite famous, but I was in his presence and he was starting to soften my heart. And um, so in Hebrews 11, it talks about, it's a famous scripture, a great cloud of witnesses. So basically all the... Um, great people of the faith um, who are in the Bible that have gone before us. It talks about uh, that basically they are in heaven um, right now and they're cheering on our generation that we would be, you know, and they're almost praying and cheering us, in, cheering us on from heaven that we would um, run, you know, run God's race well in this life, that we would that we would fulfill the destiny that God's put on our lives for our time and the time we're on earth. Um, and so I think that context is important because, you know, we're being che cheered on that we've got friends and family that are cheering us on and want to see us fulfill our potential and the very things God created us for. But also the Bible says, you know, the, the people, you know, great Christians that have gone before us that are now in heaven are cheering us on um, to fulfill our destiny. Um, so this is uh, Hebrews 12. <clears throat> so Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of God wow so it was just actually um, that small part, that first few verses where God really captured me. Um, of like, I was in a place of bitterness, which, you know, realistically doesn't please God and is sinful to be in that mindset. And I was a place of thinking God needed to do something for me. And I almost had made the idea of... You know, I want a family, but it'd become an idol. 
in me, a thing that I'd raised up about the not above the knowledge of God and above um, above what I was created to do, so my destiny, and that become more important. And I think there I'm just like, wow, I need to lay down, I need to surrender. And just remembering, you know, the king of heaven came to earth, became a man, and he died. God died so that I could live. And that, you know, if God can live a surrendered life, and I guess I can as well. And... I think in the hard times, I think the first thing you do, or I always do, I've done is take my eyes off Jesus. And that's when, I don't know, other ways of life, from the Christian one, from running after God, become appealing when you take take my eyes off Jesus. Because when my eyes are on Jesus, sin, sex, drinking, drugs, whatever the temptations may be, are not... They have no appeal. They have no draw. When I'm in his presence, when I'm focused on him, um, there's no desire for anything else. Um, so the big thing I've learned is like, wow, I need to be humble. But, you know, my example was God was humble. It says in the Gospel of John that Jesus is the word that was in the beginning. He is the word that became flesh. That Jesus is the word of God. The one that spoke out and created the earth. And created the heavens. And created the universes. So the guy that all that did all that. Became a man. And walked on earth. And taught us. And died. So that we could walk. Wow. So we could walk and experience the glory of his kingdom. You know of you know, a heavenly kingdom which is greater than anything on this earth. So the big thing I've learned is um, in studying prophetic words, in if you begin to know what your destiny is and what you're called to, just hold, hold it, hold it lightly, but just look at Jesus. Be aware of these things you're called to, but don't go after them with selfish ambition. Don't try and propump promote yourself or work hard just hold it's like no i'm made for this but actually look at the one you know keep your eyes fixed on jesus keep your eyes fixed on the one who made you who knit you together in your mother's womb and that his way it may you know it may be different and it may be difficult but it's going to be the best way and the way there's most life and there's most joy and there's most peace um and also, if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you're not going to, you know, <laughs> you're not going to think too highly of yourself. You know, where Paul says, um, you know, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, mm. you know, but with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Um, I think if you know you're called to greatness and you're going to change the world, that's great. And we're all awesome. But the thing that truly keeps you, if you look at Jesus and you realize like wherever you're at, if you've seen a million people saved, if you've healed every sick person you've ever prayed for, if you look at Jesus 
and you look at him where he is now you look at it, think about his glory and his majesty and that he's now been given the highest name in all eternity then you know you'll be willing to spend your life in doing whatever you feel he's called you to but also you're not gonna uh, get caught up with yourself and your own greatness mm. because how you know because this is Jesus how great is he mm. how, how wonderful is he how far above is he you know yeah. I think that might be the best place to leave this yeah. is with Jesus at the highest point at Jesus at the center so mate thank you for taking an hour out of your morning or afternoon to sit with me tell your story share the ups and the downs of of your life and yeah i love being able to journey your journey with you mate and thanks again thank you everyone who listened i hope it encourages you guys and yeah see you again soon